chapter twenty three of my bondage and my freedom by frederick douglas this librivox recording is in the public domain introduced to the abolitionists first speech at nantucket much sensation extraordinary speech of mr garrison author becomes a public lecturer fourteen years experience youthful enthusiasm a brand new fact matter of the author's speech he could not follow the programme his fugitive slave-ship doubted to settle all doubt he writes his experience of slavery danger of recapture increased in the summer of eighteen forty one a grand anti-slavery convention was held in nantucket under the auspices of mr garrison and his friends until now i had taken no holiday since my escape from slavery having worked very hard that spring and summer in richmond's brass foundry sometimes working all night as well as all day and needing a day or two of rest i attended this convention never supposing that i should take part in the proceedings indeed i was not aware that any one connected with the convention even so much as knew my name i was however quite mistaken mr william c coffin a prominent abolitionist in those days of trial had heard me speaking to my colored friends in the little schoolhouse on second street new bedford where we worshipped he sought me out in the crowd and invited me to say a few words to the convention thus sought out and thus invited i was induced to speak out the feelings inspired by the occasion and the fresh recollection of the scenes through which i had passed as a slave my speech on this occasion is about the only one i ever made of which i do not remember a single connected sentence it was with the utmost difficulty that i could stand erect or that i could command and articulate two words without hesitation and stammering i trembled in every limb i am not sure that my embarrassment was not the most effective part of my speech if speech it could be called at any rate this is about the only part of my performance that i now distinctly remember but excited and convulsed as i was the audience though remarkably quiet before became as much excited as myself mr garrison followed me taking me as his text and now whether i had made an eloquent speech in behalf of freedom or not his was one never to be forgotten by those who heard it those who had heard mr garrison oftenest and had known him longest were astonished it was an effort of unequal power sweeping down like a very tornado every opposing barrier whether of sentiment or opinion for a moment he possessed that almost fabulous inspiration often referred to but seldom attained in which a public meeting is transformed as it were into a single individuality the orator wielding a thousand heads and hearts at once 
and by the simple majesty of his all-controlling thought converting his hearers into the express image of his own soul that night there were at least one thousand garrisonians in nantucket at the close of this great meeting i was duly waited on by mr john a collins then the general agent of the massachusetts anti-slavery society and urgently solicited by him to become an agent of that society and to publicly advocate its anti-slavery principles i was reluctant to take the proffered position i had not been quite three years from slavery was honestly distrustful of my ability wished to be excused publicity exposed me to discovery and arrest by my master and other objections came up but mr collins was not to be put off and i finally consented to go out for three months for i supposed that i should have got to the end of my story and my usefulness in that length of time here opened upon me a new life a life for which i had had no preparation i was a graduate from the peculiar institution mr collins used to say when introducing me with my diploma written on my back the three years of my freedom had been spent in the hard school of adversity my hands had been furnished by nature with something like a solid leather coating and i had bravely marked out for myself a life of rough labor suited to the hardness of my hands as a means of supporting myself and rearing my children now what shall i say of this fourteen years experience as a public advocate of the cause of my enslaved brothers and sisters the time is but as a speck yet large enough to justify a pause for retrospection and a pause it must only be young ardent and hopeful i entered upon this new life in the full gush of unsuspecting enthusiasm the cause was good the men engaged in it were good the means to attain its triumph good heaven's blessing must attend all and freedom must soon be given to the pining millions under a ruthless bondage my whole heart went with the holy cause and my most fervent prayer to the almighty disposer of the hearts of men were continually offered for its early triumph who or what thought i can withstand a cause so good so holy so indescribably glorious the god of israel is with us the might of the eternal is on our side now let but the truth be spoken and a nation will start forth at the sound in this enthusiastic spirit i dropped into the ranks of freedom's friends and went forth to the battle for a time i was made to forget that my skin was dark and my hair crisped for a time i regretted that i could not have shared the hardships and dangers endured by the earlier workers for the slaves release i soon however found that my enthusiasm had been extravagant that hardships and dangers were not yet past and that the life now before me had shadows as well as sunbeams among the first duties assigned me on entering the ranks was to travel in company with mr george foster 
to secure subscribers to the anti-slavery standard and the liberator with him i travelled and lectured through the eastern counties of massachusetts much interest was awakened large meetings assembled many came no doubt from curiosity to hear what a negro could say in his own cause i was generally introduced as a chattel a thing a piece of southern property the chairman assuring the audience that it could speak fugitive slaves at that time were not so plentiful as now and as a fugitive slave lecturer i had the advantage of being a brand new fact the first one out up to that time a colored man was deemed a fool who confessed himself a runaway slave not only because of the danger to which he exposed himself of being retaken but because it was a confession of a very low origin some of my colored friends in new bedford thought very badly of my wisdom for thus exposing and degrading myself the only precaution i took at the beginning to prevent master thomas from knowing where i was and what i was about was the withholding my former name my master's name and the name of the state and county from which i came during the first three or four months my speeches were almost exclusively made up of narrations of my own personal experience as a slave let us have the facts said the people so also said friend george foster who always wished to pin me down to my simple narrative give us the facts said collins we will take care of the philosophy just here arose some embarrassment it was impossible for me to repeat the same old story month after month and to keep up my interest in it it was new to the people it is true but it was an old story to me and to go through with it night after night was a task altogether too mechanical for my nature tell your story frederick would whisper my then revered friend william lloyd garrison as i stepped upon the platform i could not always obey for i was now reading and thinking new views of the subject were presented to my mind it did not entirely satisfy me to narrate wrongs i felt like denouncing them i could not always curb my moral indignation for the perpetrators of slaveholding villainy long enough for a circumstantial statement of the facts which i felt almost everybody must know besides i was growing and needed room people won't believe you ever was a slave frederick if you keep on this way said friend foster be yourself said collins and tell your story it was said to me better have a little of the plantation manner of speech than not tis not best that you seem too learned these excellent friends were actuated by the best of motives and were not altogether wrong in their advice and still i must speak just the word that seemed to me the word to be spoken by me at last the apprehended trouble came people doubted if i had ever been a slave they said i did not talk like a slave look like a slave nor act like a slave and that they believed i had never been south of mason and dixon's line he don't tell us where he came from what his master's name was how he got away nor the story of his experience besides he is educated and is in this a contradiction of all the facts we have concerning the ignorance of the slaves thus i was in a pretty fair way to be denounced as an impostor 
the committee of the massachusetts anti-slavery society knew all the facts in my case and agreed with me in the prudence of keeping them private they therefore never doubted my being a genuine fugitive but going down the aisles of the churches in which i spoke and hearing the free-spoken yankees saying repeatedly he's never been a slave i'll warrant ye i resolved to dispel all doubt at no distant day by such a revelation of facts as could not be made by any other than a genuine fugitive in a little less than four years therefore after becoming a public lecturer i was induced to write out the leading facts connected with my experience in slavery giving names of persons places and dates thus putting it in the power of any who doubted to ascertain the truth or falsehood of my story of being a fugitive slave this statement soon became known in maryland and i had reason to believe that an effort would be made to recapture me it is not probable that any open attempt to secure me as a slave could have succeeded further than the obtainment by my master of the money value of my bones and sinews fortunately for me in the four years of my labours in the abolition cause i had gained many friends who would have suffered themselves to be taxed to almost any extent to save me from slavery it was felt that i had committed the double offence of running away and exposing the secrets and crimes of slavery and slaveholders there was a double motive for seeking my re-enslavement avarice and vengeance and while as i have said there was little probability of successful recapture if attempted openly i was constantly in danger of being spirited away at a moment when my friends could render me no assistance in travelling about from place to place often alone i was much exposed to this sort of attack any one cherishing the design to betray me could easily do so by simply tracing my whereabouts through the anti-slavery journals for my meetings and movements were promptly made known in advance my true friends mr garrison and mr phillips had no faith in the power of massachusetts to protect me in my right to liberty public sentiment and the law in their opinion would hand me over to the tormentors mr phillips especially considered me in danger and said when i showed him the manuscript of my story if in my place he would throw it into the fire thus the reader will observe the settling of one difficulty only opened the way for another and that though i had reached a free state and had attained a position for public usefulness i was still tormented with the liability of losing my liberty how this liability was dispelled will be related with other incidents in the next chapter end of chapter twenty three